It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's broadcast is pre-recorded.
Almighty God, as I speak this word, will you quicken it now in our hearts? Would you make it alive for us? And would you make our hearts alive? In the name of Jesus, amen. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with all of his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. There's another passage of Scripture found in Luke, the 14th chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What is this dying business all about? What is it that we're dying to? What is it we're dying for? And how do we do it? All of my life, I've heard, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Does that mean I should skip breakfast every day? Does that mean I should put a tack in my shoe so that I hobble? How do I deny myself? Should I be anorexic? How do I deny myself? How do I die? And is Jesus a murderer? Is Jesus trying to kill me? What kind of religion is that? I see the pictures of the Muslim men as they slash their backs with the whips with razors on them. And the blood flows. A bloody mess. Barely stand to look at it, flagellating themselves. 
Are they denying themselves? Are they taking up the whip and following Jesus? How do we get at these questions and begin to understand what's being asked of us? When Jesus took up his cross, he went to Golgotha, and nails pierced his hands and his feet, and he was hung up on that cross, and he died. Is that what we're to go through? Is that what the Bible means by crucifixion? Because we've not understood this question, we've not even begun to deny ourselves. We come to church and pay God a tip and go on with our wonderful plastic lives, buying stuff, living the good American life, Feasting like kings. Everything is about me and mine. And how can God serve me? How can I get from God what I want? And if God won't give it to me, how do I go out to the workplace and get what I want? How do I do the overtime to get what I want? How do we die? I want to walk with you once more in review to Romans, the sixth chapter. This is not part of the sermon. This is something I'm just adding for free. Your sleepiness today is a sign of your being well-stuffed. It's a sign of slowness of heart. It's a sign of a total lack of self-denial. So the questions I'm going to ask and try to answer today are not just hypothetical questions. They will determine whether or not you press in to know Jesus Christ or whether you're just an intellectual Follower of the gospel of Jesus. Whether you're someone who follows along when it's convenient and when it's not convenient, you're out of here. Let's look at the word. What shall we say then? Verse one, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Oh, wait a minute. First clue. We are to die to our sin. It does not say that our personality or our soul is supposed to die. Our soul is our personality. It's who we are. It's, it's our wonderful sense of humor. It's our sense of compassion. It's, it's the personality that makes us up as a unique individual. Nowhere in the scriptures will you find anywhere where the soul is supposed to die. Jesus died on Calvary. His soul died. He has not asked us to die in that way. He's asked us to let our sin die. Our sin, our actions, 
our real-life sins of gluttony, of sexual uncleanness, of pride, of arrogance. He's saying, your sin has to die. That's what he's saying in this first step. Follow with me. Verse 5. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. Now he's saying the sinful nature dies. First, it's the sin that dies. Then he's saying the sinful nature dies. The old sinful nature. Well, what is that? Adam did not have a sinful nature. He walked in fellowship with the living God of heaven. Every day the Lord came down and walked with he and his wife in the cool of the day. And then Adam began to let the devil talk to his wife. I've often wondered why Adam didn't run in and grab that snake by the tail, jerk him down and pop him. I mean, why would, why would Adam allow the devil at his wife? I might ask you men the same questions. Why would you let the devil talk to your wife? Adam did not have a sinful nature. He had no inclination to sin. He had no sinful acts that he was committing. But as he began to allow the devil to talk to his wife, and then he let his wife come and talk to him. Oh, sweetie, this is good. Oh, we who are men know how we'll let our wives talk to us. And Eve talked to Adam. And I think Adam knew that if he took that fruit, he was going to die. But he already knew his wife was gone. And he chose his wife over God. So Jesus comes and he says, you have to die. And you have to stop choosing your wife over me. You have to stop choosing your husband over me. I have to be first. So what has died so far? He's saying the sinful actions have to die like Adam reaching out and taking this. But when Adam took that, he suddenly found he was naked. The Spirit of God left him. He was left naked, and he was ashamed of his nakedness. Now he is a servant of the devil. He has sold his soul to the devil. Now he has added to himself a sinful nature, a wicked nature. It's not his soul. It is something that is affixed to him. It is something strange. It is not who he is. The word in Genesis 3.15 promises that there will be always a division. In other words, the soul of a man will always have the ability, the opportunity to choose to return to Jesus Christ in Genesis 3.15. 
always man will have the freedom to choose because there's enmity that is placed between a man and the devil. It's that distance that allows a man the opportunity to choose to repent because the gift of repentance has been given to all men. Else we could not be commanded to repent. If Jesus said, repent, and I answer him and say, you've not allowed me to repent, then my sin is excused. But my sin is not excused because God said there will be enmity between you and the woman and her seed. Always there will be enmity there. Always there is the gift of repentance given to every man and every woman. And so what is to die? It's that wicked, evil, sinful nature that has come in like a foreigner into the creation of God that controls to the very depths of the soul, but it doesn't control totally to the depths because that wonderful promise in Genesis 3.15 that says there will be enmity there. So I'm given to darkness, but I am not given totally to darkness because I can still choose to submit to the living God of heaven The demoniac comes rushing out while his mouth is spewing the words of the devil. He's falling on his knees before the Messiah. Always we have the choice to repent. Let's read further. Verse 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. What is it we've died to? We've died to our sin and we've died to our sinful nature. We have not died to our soul. We have not died in our body. We have died to the sinful nature. See, the devil wants to come and make you believe that you are the sinful nature. You are not the sinful nature. A man who walks in his sinful nature is in rebellion against the Most High God. But it's a choice to be in rebellion against the Most High God. We don't have to be in rebellion. That's what the blood of Jesus Christ opened for us. We know, verse 9 that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. You see, if I did not have Jesus Christ, I would have to finally die to my sin. And it would be my soul that would die. Do you see that distinction? If Jesus had not died for sin, for my sin, if he had not died to sin, I would have to die to sin. And the judgment of God would bring that to pass in his righteousness. 
So my soul does not have to die because Jesus died. So what has to die is my life of sin. What has to die is my nature of sin. And I have to be given a new nature to be born again. Verse 14, for sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. How does that happen? That happens by choosing to go into the prayer closet and confess the life of sin. To confess the sinful nature and to ask Jesus to put that to death. And then to lift up your hands to Jesus and say, by faith, this work is finished in my heart and in my mind. I now trust you, Jesus, and I'm no longer going to give myself as a slave to darkness. I am instead going to give myself as a slave of obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, how does this all happen? By our choosing to obey Jesus Christ and go through the steps of faith he has asked us to take. Some of you look at me with blank looks because everything so far that's happened in your life, you've made happen. When you wanted to break an old habit and start a new one, you struggled with the old habit until it was broken and you started a new way of life. You usually do that when life becomes so painful, you can't continue to go down the road you're going down. Because life is so painful, you say, I have to make a change, and so you make a change. Very seldom do we change just because it's fun to change. Most of us are utter creatures of habit, and we do it because we've always done it. Dad did it before us, and grandson's going to do it after me. Until it becomes so painful to live that way, we can't do it anymore. A good example of that is, if you're raised eating Twinkies, that's your snack of choice. You're raised eating ice cream. You're raised on all kinds of fat food. And finally, you go to the doctor and you're 200 pounds overweight. And the doctor says, look, you're going to die if you keep eating this way. You've got to go on a diet. You go into the doctor and he says... You're going to have to have a a bypass surgery for your heart. Your arteries are completely blocked up because of the way you've been eating. And suddenly there's a dramatic shift. One person who went to the doctor and the doctor said, your feet are going numb because you have sugar diabetes. Now here's the new regime you're going to have to go on. You're going to have to check your blood all the time. You're going to have to eat these foods and you're going to have to leave these foods alone. This person made a dramatic shift in their life. They changed their whole diet. They're controlling their diabetes by their diet. Well, why did they do that? 
because they had to. They didn't have a choice. The human spirit can make those kinds of choices and change behavior. But with this sin issue, we can't change that. We can shove it down in one place and it'll pop up in another. We can work with all of our might. We can do neuro-linguistic training. We can reprogram our whole way of thinking and our whole way of operating here. The deeper you push it there, the higher it's going to pop over here. Until you say, what's the use? We need a Savior. We need a Savior who really will save us. And the way he saves us is by our being willing to take those specific steps of obedience. That by taking those steps, frees the blood of Jesus to do its work in our lives. And specifically the obedience that we're required to take. Repent, turn aside, and stand by faith that the blood of Jesus has changed us and we're never going back. It takes obedience to take those steps. And our eyes are on Jesus. Now there's a lie that has been taught about this in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans. Verse 10, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means, but in order that sin might be recognized as sin. It produced death in me through that which was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. That is not the statement of a Christian man. That's the statement of a religious man who has not yet been born again in Jesus Christ. Read carefully the first verses of chapter 7, and it becomes very clear that Paul is speaking about himself prior to his conversion to Jesus Christ. He was able to force an outward obedience to the law, but he was not able to control the fire of wrath in his heart. He was able to put down the desire to not walk in the ceremonial codes of the Old Testament. But he was not able to deal with his burning anger against those who disagreed with him. He was utterly captive to sin. He could force an outward manifestation of righteousness, but he could not change his heart. Some of you have tried to change your heart and you've been unable to change it. Can a leopard change its spots? There's only one way the heart can be changed and that's by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I don't understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. 
As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. That's what has to die. It's not me who has to die. It's the sin living in me that has to die. So Jesus is not a murderer. He's not coming and trying to destroy you. If you submit to him, you will not lose everything. You will gain everything. But Satan comes and he says, Jesus is trying to steal from you. Jesus is trying to take away from you something that is valuable, something that is precious. If you submit to Jesus, you'll never have your life again. The fact is, Jesus is asking you to die to sin so he can give you back your life. Adam lost his life when he submitted as a servant, as a slave of the devil. Look at the whole history of the scriptures. Every time a man or woman gave themselves into the power of darkness, they lost their family. They lost their health. They lost their joy. They ended up dying a miserable death. But every person who gave themselves to Jesus Christ ended up with joy and peace, with the fruit of the Spirit. They ended up filled with joy and love. And there was no darkness in them. So when we come to Jesus saying, deny yourself, what he's saying is, deny the sin that wants to rule your life. Deny the wickedness that the devil is trying to sell you on. Deny it. Do not allow it to come. But I know. Look, I've walked in this desert for a long time. Been on the radio all this last week. In fact, for weeks, I've been spending many hours every day producing radio broadcasts until I'm exhausted. I got up this morning and I sat at the breakfast table and my wife said to me, sweetie, You look tired today. I said, sweetie, I am tired today. Well, I could go home after this service today. I could sit in my prayer room and I could begin to say to myself, what's the use of all this work when there's nothing being produced? What's the use of this? Why don't I go do something productive? This is useless. God is just wasting my life. Do you recognize what I'd be doing if I did that? I would be agreeing with the devil against the Most High God. I would be saying it is miserable to serve God. It certainly has to be more joyful to serve the devil. But of course, I wouldn't say that because I'd I'd be saying I'm going to take care of me. Well, that's the spirit of the devil that's been put inside of every human being. So when I sit in my prayer room tonight, and I know that's where I'm headed, as soon as I leave this house, I'm going to go to God. I'm going to go to my prayer room. And I'm going to sit in that prayer room. I can tell you right now what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, Jesus, thank you for every precious person who came today. I'm resting in you. By faith, I stand on your word that revival is coming to Washington, D.C. 
I will not give the devil one inch of room to make any accusation from my heart against the Most High God. I know that if I begin going down the road of despair and darkness and depression, I will be eaten alive by the devil. I know that once you begin to go down that road, you can't get back the way you got in. You can't just turn around and go back the other way. It doesn't work like that. The devil takes us down one-way streets. You can't get back except one way. Repent and say, I renounce you, sin. I renounce you, despair. I renounce you discouragement. I renounce you bitterness. I renounce you selfishness. I will not walk in you. I will serve the living God of heaven and I will obey him. And my life is a poured out offering and I will not judge it. I will serve the living God. And as I do that, peace floods into my soul. Joy fills my heart, and I'm at rest once more. Well, why go down that road in the first place? Why not just stay in peace and joy? Why go into that sewer when I know I'm just going to have to come back up out of it, and I'm going to have to be washed anew by the blood of Jesus? Jesus is not trying to murder me. He's trying to rescue me from the clutches of this wicked devil who is trying to control and confuse and manipulate and cause me to be utterly given to darkness. So I lift up my hands to the maker, to the one who is above heaven and earth. And I say, I'm going to trust you, Jesus. And by faith, this sin is gone and I will no longer be troubled by it. Now, it doesn't matter what it is, if it's bitterness, if it's lack of forgiveness, if it's selfishness, if it's self-centeredness, whatever it is, Jesus, this is this ugly thing that has grabbed a hold of my heart. By faith, I confess it. I repent of it. I turn aside from it. I renounce it. And now, Jesus, would your blood do its work? Would your blood come and remove it from me in the name of Jesus? And he comes. And he removes it. But let's say, in my despair, I begin to say, Jesus, I know this despair is sin. I know I'm a sinner. And I just stay right there. What do I do? I sink like a rock. And then I can say, see, I told Jesus what I was. He didn't rescue me. God, it's your fault I'm in this place now. I repented of my sin, and I I told you I was sorry. I tried to deal with it, but now look where I'm at. There's no power. Now I'm mad at God because he didn't rescue me. Well, why didn't he rescue me? Because I exercised no faith. I didn't access the blood of Jesus. My sweetheart has been diagnosed with pneumonia. The doctor gave her a prescription. What if she came home and she never opened the prescription? And then she said, you know, this doctor we went to is no good. This doctor is no good. 
I took the time to go to the doctor. I paid the doctor for the visit. Now I came home and the doctor's words are not true because he did not heal me of my sickness. I'm getting worse, Ray. What am I going to do? I'm just going to die. I'm not going to go back to that doctor anymore. I want a doctor who knows what they're talking about. And all the time, my, my prescription is sitting on the counter. I never took the medicine. When you come to Jesus Christ, you're going to have to take the blood because the blood is the prescription. The blood is what removes the darkness from our hearts. The blood is what breaks the rebellion in our spirits. When I stand by faith for that work in the blood of Jesus, the work is done and I am set free. What do you think? Jesus wants a bunch of bones in heaven? Lobotomized people? No! He wants us with all the sparkle of the wonderful personality he placed in us. He wants us with all the honesty and integrity he's planted in us. He loves us the way we are. He made us this way. I think he sometimes must watch us and belly laugh. I mean, surely he has a sense of humor. How could he have made a raccoon and had no sense of humor? How could he have made a grasshopper or a mockingbird? Surely he had a sense of humor. How could he have made me and not had a sense of humor? He knit us together in our mother's womb. But we have a disease. We came out of that womb diseased with sin and with this wicked nature. And it's this nature that has to die. It's this sin that has to die. And it dies as we come to Jesus and confess it and renounce it and say our allegiance is with you, Jesus. And we now are going to serve you. And by faith, I will follow you, Jesus. And the blood does its work and it delivers us. But I want you to see this in Scripture. Verse 21. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? And he can't even answer his own question. It just breaks out in shouts of hallelujah. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you, Jesus. It's through Jesus I'm delivered from this body of death. Any place today where you do not have the victory, you're going to have to answer honestly the question, is it because Jesus' blood was not enough? Or was it because you figured you could do it on your own and you were unwilling to ask for the blood of Jesus to do the work in you? Have you ever heard about the man who had a machine that you put $1 in, you crank the crank, and a $5 bill comes out? And he was selling it to a man. He put a one in and he cranked it and a $5 bill came out. 
He put another one in. He cranked it. $5 bill came out. The man bought the machine from him. He said, that's a wonderful machine. I want it. So he took the machine, and as he was about to walk off, the man who was selling it said, now, there's just one catch. This machine will not work if you think about the red monkey in the tree. If you think about the red monkey in the tree, the machine won't work. So the man took it back home with him. And he put a $1 bill in and he began to crank it. And as he cranked it, he thought about the monkey, the red monkey in the tree. And the $5 bill didn't come out. Just the $1 bill came out. He spent so much time trying not to think about the red monkey in the tree. All day long, he said, I'm not going to think about the red monkey again. But as soon as he put a dollar bill in and he began to crank it, he thought about the red monkey in the tree. And a $5 bill didn't come out. Now, we've done this to Jesus. We've said, if I can just repent the right way, if I can just be sincere enough in my repentance, if I can just not think about that sin anymore, But as soon as I begin to be serious about God, and I'm going to go for God, what pops into my mind? The red monkey in the tree. And then I say, oh, I can't get my $5. I can't get my righteousness. It's hopeless. I thought about the red monkey in the tree. How many times have you thought about the red monkey in the tree? Now, can I tell you the truth? With Jesus, there's no red monkey in the tree. You can never repent enough to earn righteousness. You can never beat yourself sufficiently to deserve the gift of righteousness. So don't try to judge the level or the sincerity of your repentance by whether or not you think about the red monkey in the tree. The one who is real is Jesus The one who has the power is the blood. And he's more eager to give it to us than we are to receive it. And so I'm on my face and I repent and I say, Jesus, I'm not going to walk this way anymore. This thought I'm not going to have in my mind anymore. I am giving myself to you, Jesus. Now I stand by faith that your blood will do this work. And the red monkey jumps into my mind. And if I stand up and I say, see, it doesn't work, Pastor Ray's lying, then it won't work for you. But if you'll stay there and by faith say, Jesus, do you see what just came into my mind? That's what I'm asking you to remove. I lift it up and I give it to you, Jesus. Give me a new nature in you, Jesus. I don't want to go that way anymore. I don't want to walk that way anymore. I trust you. I trust your blood. See, it's not our sincerity that saves us. It's Jesus' sincerity that saves us. It's not our work that saves us. It's the work of Jesus at the cross that saves us. You're not going to do it well enough to get righteousness. Jesus already did it well enough to give you righteousness. Will you trust him? Will you simply turn to him and say, Jesus, this is what I need. I trust you for it.
I will wait upon you. All that I have, I give to you. Now would you come? And you just stay there. That's your posture all day. That's your posture all week between now and next Sunday. That's where you stay. Hands lifted to Jesus in your spirit. You're saying, Jesus, I trust you for this. I trust the blood to do the work in my heart. Set me free, Jesus. I belong to you. I don't belong to the devil. Set me free, Jesus. And the blood will do its work. And will set you free. That's what the Bible calls crucifixion. That's what the Bible calls dying out to sin and being born of the Spirit. Almighty God, I praise you and I worship you. And no matter what it looks like, my eyes are on you and I trust you. I trust the work of your blood in my heart and in the heart of my brother and sister. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Inside of me, 
keeper of eternity, O oh Lord, revive me with your Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us at nationalprayerchapel.com. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great
from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. We 